Thank you, brother. Amen. How was that? Oh, the books of the Bible. That's kid stuff, right? Come show them how to do it, James. What? <laughs> they got it memorized. I was, uh, I was um, really impressed. They did a really good job. And uh, that's, that's what we're teaching our kids, our children, while we are here going through the books of the Bible ourselves. We are in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going right back to our study of Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we ended up at. Verse 25 was the next verse that we're going to go into. And uh, I want to w- welcome you guys and thank you guys for all being here and say Happy New Year. All right. Happy New Year to all you guys as well. Do you know that uh, you, you are in an elite group this morning? You have been to church every Sunday this year. So congratulations. You got 100%. Tell your neighbor, congratulations. All right, you made it. Yeah. Every one of you. Now let's keep that going. Let's keep that streak going. Amen? How's that sound? Uh, okay. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 25. And my Bible reads like this. Therefore, okay, let's stop right there. As, you've, as you have heard me say many times before, when the word therefore is there, we want to see what it's there for. And because it's been a couple of weeks now, because we, we went through Christmas and then we went through New Year's, uh, the services, the messages were a little bit different. We kind of left off in Ephesians chapter 4. And I, I just want to take you back to where we were, where we started at, and uh, how it is that we, we ended uh, this, this portion of Scripture, but where it is that we started to begin with. And in the, um, you may not have these with you. I don't know, maybe you do. But um, uh, you might have the, the outlines of uh, last year. But what I did is I just kind of went over them just to kind of give us a recap of what we've been talking about because it's very important. It, it ties right in beautifully with the new year. Because what Paul started off to say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And what we started to do back in October, this is October 31st, this was Reformation Sunday, and we talked about how it was important to walk the walk that God has given you. And, and a worthy walk, is what I mentioned during that time, was found in Ephesians chapter Chapter 4, verse 2, a worthy walk is dependent on humility. Uh, A worthy walk demonstrates gentleness. A worthy walk develops patience. And a worthy walk displays forbearing love. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. And these were some of the topics that we talked about. We We shared how it is that we are to demonstrate this humility or be dependent upon humility. Getting ourselves out of the, our way, out of the way and focusing on Jesus Christ. We talked about gentleness. Gentleness is another word for meekness, and meekness does not mean it's weakness. But meekness is what, uh, what what you see in a horse that's been tamed. It's not that it's weak; it's still strong. But when a horse is meek, what they do is they take that power and put it under control. And the power and strength that each one of us possess, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit, we have the power to either build up or to tear down. The, the strongest and the, the most uh, vicious muscle in your body is the tongue. And it can say some hurtful things and it can say some uplifting things. The bad thing about the tongue, when you say something and once you've said it, you can't unsay it. You can't unring a bell. You cannot unscramble an egg. And so humility is focused on, first and foremost, Jesus Christ, on God, and on other people. It doesn't focus on me. Humility helps us to realize that everyone else is first. My problem, our problem, is sin is based upon me. Sin is what I want. Sin is what I want to do, what I want to happen. When I am disrespected, when I am uh, the one being talked about, when I am the one being shot down, it's me, myself, and I the unholy trinity. We talked about humility. We talked about gentleness, patience, that everybody prays for patience, uh, forbearing love, to love the unlovable, and love as much as we can. It's that agape love. And then a worthy walk defends the unity, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in a bond of peace. The following week, we talked about the cause of the worthy walk. Paul, Paul has already set all theology, all doctrine. He's taught us all the theology. We went through that in the first three chapters. Three chapters of doctrine, Three chapters of practicality. How do I live this out? How am I to live my life now that I know that I know that I know that I have been saved, I have been redeemed, I have been transformed, I have been changed? And how do I know that? Well, we said that Paul also stated in um, 
In 1 Corinthians, that those who are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are a new person. You are not two different people. You're not a spiritual schizophrenic. You are new. Get rid of the old. You are new. Don't hang on to the old. And the covering, the holding on to that we have, Paul had described it as taking it off like an old coat, like the old clothing. You just want to take all that off and put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the way that we do that, and, and we, we have to focus on that there's a cause of the worthy walk. This is what has caused us to be able to walk this way. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in the one hope that belongs to your Lord, our one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. All these one, 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 one. It's unity. And it's unity in the Spirit. There is one body. There's unity in the Son. There is one Lord and one baptism. There's unity in the Father and one God and Father of all. And we talked about, we spent some time during that message and shared with you on what those things, develop, how they develop within our life and how it's important to recognize that you're not doing this all on your own. You're not on your own in this, in this section. The following weeks, we talked about the gifts that God gave the church. God has created you with the gift. In verse 7 of chapter 4, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He gave us and created a gift and gave us a gift. When you become saved, the moment the Holy Spirit enters your life, you're given a gift. You have, if you've been redeemed, if you've been saved, you have a spiritual gift that is to be used in the body of Christ, to be able to edify the body. And we walk through this and we talk to you about this. And, and it's important to recognize that gift, to find that gift that you have. And many people say, well, how do I know that? Well, <laughs> to be honest with you, you already know what it is. Most people point it out in you. You're such a great helper. Oh, anybody can do this. It's nothing. And we kind of have this false humility about who we are. That's nothing. It's, it's no big thing. No, it is a big thing. There are a lot of people that don't know how to help. Some people cause more damage than help. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, some people don't know how to share the gospel. You think, well, it comes easy to me. Those are all spiritual gifts, the gifts of helps, the gifts of service, the gifts of administration. We walked through that. As a matter of fact, that was part of our uh, Fundamentals of the Faith on a Wednesday night. We walked through and, and kind of gave everybody a, a gift, spiritual gift assessment. You remember, you remember that? And when we walked through that spiritual gift assessment, some of you found, hey, wow, I, I kind of knew this, but I didn't realize that it was a spiritual gift. Now it's a matter of putting it into practice. And part of what we're doing this next year is coming out of that spiritual giftedness as far as implementing new Bible studies and, and uh, new ministries that we're doing this year. Uh, anyways, we talked about how uh, God paid a high cost for your gift. Uh, Ephesians 4, 8, it says, Therefore, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. That gift, that what Jesus Christ did, he, he, was, he descended to the furthest parts of the world, and then he ascended, and he gave gifts to us. We talked about how that mirrored the book of Psalms and how that was... Uh, how, how that was uh, connected to the conquering king. Uh, the gifts were commissioned to the church. The following week, we talked about, excuse, oh, you know what, I, I kind of passed these up. The apostles and prophets, uh, he gave the gifts that he gave us, were apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And we, we talked about how the apostles and prophets constructed the foundation of the church, how they collected and declared God's revealed word and made it known to us, how they confirmed the word that was being preached through Jesus Christ and the other apostles through signs and wonders. And then he gave us evangelists, shepherds, pastors, teachers. And why did God give us these gifts? Well, first of all, to perfect the saints. We saw that in verses 11 through 16, that God wants you to be perfect. We talked about perfection. And you've heard this, that you should be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And when that comes to us, we say, well, there's no way I can be perfect. I've already messed up. I've already sinned. I've already lied. I've already yelled at somebody. And that's just this morning. You know, it's, I'm not talking about what I've done in my whole life. I've used profanity. And how can I be perfect? Well, the, the the phrase perfect means to mature. It's a development. It's, it's not the perfection of your life, but it's the direction of your life. It's not that you are perfect, pure, and have no sin because we are sinners, but it's the perfection of your life. And it's a positional perfection for one. Theologians call it positional perfection. And this is what you have been placed in Christ. You, your sin has been taken away. The sin that is keeping you away from God, not your lying, not your cussing, not, not those things, the original sin, 
that was placed upon you by our forefathers, Adam and Eve, that original sin has been taken away. You now stand before God. If you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven. And you'd go to heaven and you'd be there, not because of your perfection, but because of the perfection that was imputed upon you by Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and he said, it is finished. They no longer have to try to be perfect because I am the perfect sacrifice. And he was the perfect sacrifice. And he sacrificed himself for you and for me. Now, my understanding is, is doesn't matter what I think about myself and how good I think I am or whatever the case may be. My understanding of going to heaven has nothing to do with what Jesus Christ has done. It's what he has done. It's his understanding that we have to impute upon us, that he imputes upon us. He imputes his righteousness on us while our sin is imputed upon him. And therefore, that's why we have this positional perfection. We also talked about the ultimate perfection when we get to heaven. We struggle with sin. We're going to talk about that here in just a bit. We struggle with all these things that are going on in, in our life. All, none of us are that perfect to the point where we don't sin anymore because we are in this flesh. This flesh loves sin. And what I'm doing, what we are doing, what we're trying to do throughout this new year is to crucify the flesh, crucify the self, crucify the, the, that old man, get rid of that old garment and put on the new man and walk in that. And until then, we won't see the ultimate perfection when you stand before God glorified. Not until then. And then there's that practical perfection that we'll be talking about. The progress to perfection how does God get us there to that point? Well, He uses pastors, teachers, evangelists, shepherds. He uses uh, those that are around you to encourage you. And it's interesting, you know, when you try to hold somebody accountable, and you try to tell people, you know, there's some sin in your life, the very first verse most people go through is, thou shalt not judge. Who are you to judge? Those that are being encouraged to stop sinning, uh, they turn around, they call you a judge. You shouldn't be judging me. You can't judge me. And automatically, we just kind of back off. Well, you're right. I shouldn't do that. Is, but the Bible does share with us and tell us that we are to hold each other accountable. And when we understand the holiness of God, the, the purity of, that's why we sang about that this morning, the holiness of God, He cannot see sin. When I understand that, then I start to realize, you know what? I am a sinful, wretched soul. Only by the grace of God, there I go. Only by what He has done. And so He uses the church. He uses His Word. He uses leaders around us to perfect us, to mature us. And, and it's so that we can attain this unity of the faith, uh, the purpose of perfection. The power of perfection, well, of course, is the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And then right before we went to on our Christmas break, we talked about the old self and the new self. Walk off the old self. The old self had this futile thinking. Remember that. We talked about how, how this world, it just, it's futile. It's, it's worthless. It's how they think. Every, all those things that most people believe is very important. That most people believe that it's one of those important things that, that I have to fight for. And, and I know, and please don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to bash your political beliefs or anything like that. And some, of, some people are very, uh, very tested on, on those types of things. And some of you are really just into the politics. And if God's called you to that, then maybe that's where you need to uh, concentrate some of your efforts. Of course, looking at it from a, from a theological perspective, from an end time perspective, from, a, from, from an eschatological time perspective, knowing that all of this is being played out to a final end. But to base your whole life on politics or business or anything else that this world has, nobody takes any of that stuff with you. There are no politicians. Well, I shouldn't say, let me put it another way. <laughs> I was going to say, there are no politicians in heaven. That, that can be pretty close. There are no Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Libertarians, Greenpeace. There, there aren't, there aren't the, that, that type of people. We are one. We're united. And all those things that we hold on to are designed by the enemy to divide us. Left, right, liberal, conservative, uh, left wing, right wing. All of that is designed to divide us. And so I need to get rid of that futile thinking that, you know, this is all futile. It's, it's worthless. It's, you know, it helps to know. It helps to understand. Again, I, I walk a tight rope when I talk about that because I do get involved in, you know, politics. I vote. I, I, you know, but I refuse to get sucked up into it like I had in the past. Really just, I would die for my beliefs. And I said, you know, if I'm going to die for any beliefs, I'm going to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen. Darkened thinking was another 
uh, area that we talked about. Got to get rid of that. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. People that are darkened in their thinking don't have God in their life, don't, don't understand that God put it all together. He holds it all together, that he's the one that's going to eventually cause all this stuff just to disintegrate. Everything. People are held captive by this darkened thinking, thinking that, that you know, if, if I can just work a little harder to protect the planet, that we can save this planet, and we are to be stewards of this planet. And, and we talk about being good stewards of this planet as if God's going to preserve this planet. Last time I read the Bible, the Bible says this planet is going to get destroyed, whether I collect cans or not. Now, I'm not saying to go out and be a, you know, litterer or a litter bug. You know, take your cans in, you know, do, do your part. But that is not going to save the planet. This planet, beloved, is doomed for destruction. It's written in a book that I read once, and I know the author, and he knows me, and praise God for that. Amen? And this darkened thinking that we think that we can change things, we can, you know, manipulate everything that's gone on in these last couple of years. You've heard me say this. Everything that's gone on in the last couple of centuries is all for the end goal. All of it. And what we've experienced these last couple of years is just a drop in the bucket of everything God has been preparing for that time. And we think that we can preserve ourselves or save lives or save people or, or others. And, and, and bottom line, God is working something out that's beyond our comprehension. We trust God. We trust in Him. Some of you know, and, and I've shared this with you uh, sometime before, that in, in my case... It was a year ago, and uh, on New Year's Day, I remember, just uh, yesterday, I was sitting outside. Uh, the sun came out. It was nice. I, I put some shorts on. I was getting some sun. And I remember, it was one year ago today, I was sitting out here trying to get sun, vitamin D. I had just gotten out of the hospital, just got out of, you know, I, I'm still in the COVID stage. I'm still try, trying to catch my breath. I had this 50-foot-long uh, air hose <laughs> from going from my living room to the backyard. I'm kind of like, like this, you know, just stretching out, just trying to get as much sun as possible. And I remembered, I says, you know, at that time, I thought to myself, Lord, if this is how you're going to take me out, then so be it. You know, I, I, I don't have any say-so over that. See, because God gave me life. And he gave it to me without my permission. I didn't do anything for that life. I couldn't choose my parents. I couldn't choose the time I was born. I couldn't choose to whom I was going to be born, how I was going to be born. You know, I, none of that. I had, it was totally out of my control. And in the same manner... The Bible teaches that how many of you by worrying, Jesus says, can add a single minute to your life. Look at the birds. They don't worry. Look at the flowers. They don't worry. Nothing worries except for you. And you think that you're going to be extending your life by worrying? And, and I came to that realization very early, and I said, Lord, if this is it, I don't know why it's going to be like this, but if this is it, it's, I've got nothing to do with it. And I submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, I'm still here. Maybe eventually, you know, well, I know he will. I shouldn't say maybe. None of us gets out of here alive. Amen? Amen. I don't mean out of this building, you know. <laughs> we, we, you can leave here today. Don't worry about it. I mean out of this life. None of us gets here out of life. And all we can do is to prepare, take care, you know, make sure you take precautions in all sorts of ways. But ultimately, it's up to God. And this darkened thinking of people that they think they can live forever or whatever the case may be, save the planet, uh, all these various things that, you, you know, and that's just within the culture of what we're in now. Change the perspective of man and, and their minds on racism, on homosexuality and all these other things, these issues, this darkened thinking that God says, no, you cannot do that. And it's because, the Bible says, of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And we talked about callous thinking and depraved thinking. It kind of all led up to it. And Paul says, look, that's the old man, but you need to walk the life of the new man. And that's where we're at now. New year, new me, right? 2022, new year, new me. The problem with that is I woke up January the 1st, 2022, and it was a new year, but it was still the old me. Oh, well. <laughs> and people believe that they can change their behavior and make themselves a new person. A lot of people gave up smoking, praise God for that, and they probably will never smoke again. Some people gave up drinking, thank God for that, and maybe many of those people will stop drinking. Some, some people went out and uh, started some exercise regiments, and you know, they're, they're looking at their health, and praise God for that. But those are outer things. 
What about the heart? The new man has a new heart. That is what the Bible focuses on. That is, the Bible doesn't focus on changing your outside, your appearance, your surroundings, uh, your finances. Your, it, it focuses on finances, yes. Your children, of course the Bible talks about how to raise your children. But the most important message of Scripture, you can have your finances in order, you can gain the whole world, but yet lose your soul. That, beloved, is the most important lesson and message. When you, when you know that you know, that you know that you know that God has redeemed you because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. When you know that, then your life changes. Then your finances start getting into order. Then your children, you're, you're, you're developing them and raising them up in the way they should go. But to try to take care of all those outer things without taking care of this is foolish. Paul says you need to have a Christ-centered thinking. You need to have God's truth thinking. You need to have new self Thinking, put off your old self, Paul says, which belongs to your former manner of life. Putting off, take off that cloak, take off that clothing, take off that old rotten cloak, uh, cloth that you have on. Take it all off, Paul says, because now you have a new coat. You are a redeemed child of God. And what Paul started to say here in Ephesians 4, chapter 1, act like it. If you call yourself a redeemed person, act like it, walk like it. That's what you need to focus on. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, walk, the walk for, as a prisoner of Christ, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so Paul, from this point forward, he's going to come, come out and he's going to share with us things that you need to get rid of, things that you need to work on, things that you need to focus on and get rid of the rest. God's truth thinking, new self thinking, renewed thinking, the new self. And that ended in verse 17. And 17, we went on to say, and we learned about the new self, the new desires, to be renewed in your minds and to put the new self, the created one, after the likeness of God in true righteousness. And in verse 25, he says, therefore, when he says, therefore, it, it, we needed to go back and look at, well, what, what do you put that there for? He says, because of all I just said, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that they may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear." And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Father in heaven, there's a laundry list and it's not a complete list. But Paul was dealing with the city and the region of Ephesus. And he was dealing with the people that were there. And news has come to him that these are some of the things that are going on. So Paul addresses these things. And, and so, rightly so, he addresses us as well. But at the time that Paul wrote this, there must have been a lot of anger issues. For he, he repeats it twice. This malice, this anger, this slander, this bitterness that comes out of the mouth. There must have been a problem with people's mouth. As it is in today's life. In our world today. So, Father, in this new year that we want to be a new person, that you have made a new creation, and I pray, God, that you have given us all a new heart. If that is who we claim to be, then this is the standard of which we must live up to. And this is only a partial list. So, Father, we pray that you lead us this morning to receive. And I know it's going to sting. It, it hurt me. It, stung, it stings every time I hear things like this. And I know it's going to hurt, but Father, that's what we need to hear. You are our Father, and you know what's best for us. So lead us this morning, we pray. We say these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says? Amen. Amen. All right. Go to your outlines. Number one, first thing I need to do is I need to commit. Let us all commit. And this is, some of you probably made New Year's resolutions. Fantastic. Great. You know, and, and I pray that you fulfill every resolution that you put you place before you, these goals, these things that you're going to do. You know, like uh, 
fix your finances, get healthy, uh, exercise, whatever the case may be. You know, I pray that you, you fulfill them and all that. However, what we're looking at are some spiritual goals, some spiritual ideas. And instead of making a resolution, well, I hope I make that, I want you to make a commitment with me. Let us commit, number one, to love one another. To love one another. Paul says in Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We, we read this in, in verse 15 of chapter 4. Paul said, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You speak the truth. And when you speak the truth, you speak the truth in love. And when you speak the truth in love to someone, you love one another. And, and so therefore, something must, be, must have been going on at this, at this point in, in the city of Ephesus and the surrounding cities. There must have been a lot of falsehood, things that people were doing and saying. And uh, this, this time when he says this, he's basically saying, look, you, you cannot continue to lie. That's not who you are anymore. Liars will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually moral, moral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire, sulfur, which is the second death. Lying is right there in that list of sexually moral sorcerers, idolaters, faithless, detestable murderers. Lying is not, should not have a part in your Christian vocabulary should not be part of what we do. That's why Paul said earlier, speak the truth in love, always. You know, and, and it's difficult, I guess, for some to do that. But, you know, it, it's not difficult for others. And I'm going to explain to you what the truth, you know, how to speak the truth is, you know. And I mean, it, there are things that you have to understand about speaking the truth. Because when you speak the truth, you, you know, and, and some of you and some of us have said maybe, you know, that wasn't correct. I shouldn't have said that. You know, some, some people have over-exaggerated. Some people have probably li- flat-out lied. And so for some people, it just comes natural. <laughs> you know, yeah, I didn't do that. I'm not going to point out any fingers, but their initials are. No, I'm just kidding. You see, when people are just in the habit of doing so, Jesus said in chapter, John chapter 8, uh, in John chapter 8, verse 44, you want to write that down so you can look at it later. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and, you, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Now, you would think that Jesus was talking to some drunkards, some gangbangers, or some, you know, whatever, prostitutes. He was talking to the pastors of that day. He was talking to the Pharisees. Your father's not Abraham, because if you were of your father Abraham, you wouldn't be saying all these lies about me, first of all, and about everything else. But you, he says, are your father the devil. And you know how I know this? Because what you say matches up to what he says. Everything he speaks that comes out of his mouth is a lie. You see, when Paul is saying, you know, stop lying, he's saying, don't make it a habitual practice of your life to continue to lie. You know, everything that comes out of your mouth has to be a lie. It needs to be a lie. And you're trying to protect, you're trying to provide, you're t- whatever the case may be. There's a story of uh, Anne Frank that, uh, don't know if you ever read that story. And this has been multiplied over many times before with other testimonies that I've heard and read, one especially of a friend of mine. But, uh, but with Anne Frank, she was found, or they thought she had hidden some Jewish people in her house. This is back during the time that the, the, the Nazis were coming around and killing all the Jews. And she, had this, she, was, she was German, and she says, I, I, want, I want these friends of mine to be saved. And so she hit them. And so they knock on her door, and they say, hey, do you have Jews in there? She says, you know, and she was startled. Okay, we startled you, but, but do you have Jews in there? She, she kept thinking, what do I say? What do I say? Do I lie? I can't lie. I'm a Christian. And it seems, she says that it, it seemed like it was an eternity. And finally, they just said, ah, let's get out of here. And they walked away. Same thing happened to a friend of mine as he was going into Russia. He bought this computer from Europe, and he was bringing it into uh, Russia. And anything that is not bought in Russia, they confiscated. And as he was at the border, they asked him the same question, where'd you buy this at? And he goes, 
um, you know, what? Well, you, you, you have a receipt? I, you know, I don't have a receipt, you know, but, but where'd you buy it at? And, and he just, same thing. He says, I can't lie and say, I, I could have said I bought it in Russia. They would have just let me pass. And same thing happened to him. You know, get out of here. Hurry up. You're holding up the line. Many times, many times, especially when it's going to hurt you or somebody else, just don't say anything. Don't say anything. Now, that does not mean you withhold the truth. Hey, did you go into work today? I, I did not go into work today. How's that? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I wanted to go into work today. You just tell a fib by not giving all the details. You know, I was at work. Yeah, maybe the last five minutes of the work day, you know, but I was there. You know, because we're not telling the full information. A, lo- a person with a heart that lies is bent on deceiving as many people as possible for the benefit of the good of the person. And we cannot love one another if we're bent on wanting to lie. Jesus said, uh, you know, well, again, going back into John 14, you know, know, the truth is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You see, when you encounter truth and when you speak truth and when you are confronted with truth, you're confronted in speaking Jesus Christ because he is truth. And so... I commit this year to love you in telling the truth. Now, be careful how you tell the truth. See, because you got to tell the truth, as Paul said, in love. You know, it might, it might be true. You might have a brother like me that's kind of dumb. And I don't go up to him. You know, you're dumb. That's the truth. And he'll probably admit it. Yeah, you're right. You know, well, actually, there's two, three. Well, never mind. Let's, let's just stop there. You don't want to do that to somebody and, you know, you know, hit them upside the head with the truth. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're fat. You're ugly. Whatever the case may be, those things might be true. But how is that edify anybody? Warren Wiersbe once said, "Truth uh, without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. But love in truth is maturity. You share the truth with people. Now, there's some things that are better left than said." But I was telling the truth. You want to hear the truth? I'll tell you the truth. And people don't care because they beat you with the truth. And so we are to share the truth and love. And, and if you want to focus on sharing the truth and loving somebody, you think about Jesus. You want to share the truth and love? Well, you know, this is what Jesus says. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Word of God says. Can't argue with that. You share the truth. Even the Spirit, look at verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. John 14, 7. And the last verse in your outline, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus Christ is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. God's word is truth. There's no reason for any believer to say, I don't know what the truth is. There's no reason for any of us to say that, you know, well, I don't know how to speak the truth because you've got Jesus Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit, and you've got God's Word. Number two, let us commit to encouraging one another. Let us commit to encouraging one another. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Anger is this outward boiling over rage or this inward seething resentment. This, this anger that Paul is talking about is something that is constantly within you. And you can not only hear it out of the mouth of people, but you can see it in their demeanor. It's, it's part of who they are. As, as seen in the New Testament, it can represent an emotion, either good or bad. So you can have good anger and you can have bad anger depending on the motive and the purpose. Paul's command to be angry or, not, or to be angry with the qualification, yet do not sin. You can get mad. I was talking to a mother just recently that lost her son. And uh, she was going through all, she's just going on and on, telling me about all these emotions and things that are going on. And not so bad, sometimes I get happy, I get sad, I get depressed. And I, and I, but I stay mad, and, you know, and I'm saying, it's okay. Sometimes I want to get mad at God. I says, well, you can get mad at God. He's a big enough God to, to take it. You can get mad at him, but, but in your anger, do not sin. Don't call him names. Don't say he doesn't exist. Don't do those things that some people would probably do. Just don't sin. You can be mad at me, but don't sin. Don't sin. Don't 
call me names or call other people names. And, and so there's, there's a process of it. As a matter of fact, Jesus was very good at, at doing that in, in John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. In your outlines, and it says, And he told those who sold pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And we know that in another, uh, trans, another portion of scripture, he made a whip. And he would whoosh, get out of my father's house. My father's house is not a den of thieves. And as a matter of fact, the disciples, they remembered what was written in, 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 in uh, Psalm 69, for zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. And Jesus Christ was consumed with the zeal, this passion, this anger. You're going to get mad? Get mad at the evil in this world. Get mad at people that profane God in His name. Get mad at those that are uh, less fortunate than you, than you that are being abused or hurt. Get mad at the things that matter to the, the heart of God. You're going to get mad, but do not sin. And it's important to understand this, that anger that is sin is an anger that is self-defensive and self-serving. It's all about me. Now, I get mad when, when somebody uh, lashes out at me or yells at me or demeans me. And this is the self-angered um, Anger that Paul is talking about. It is the anger that leads to murder and to God's judgment and causes people to lash out and hurt and to cause this pain on other people. Anger that is selfish, undisciplined, and vindictive is sinful and has no place, even temporarily in a Christian's life. But anger that is unselfish and is based on love for God and concern for others is permissible and is commanded in such sense. But don't sin. Don't let it cause you to sin. You've probably heard this expression before. You make me what? Okay, so you guys are experts at this. You, guys. <laughs> you make me mad. Sick. sick. You make me sick. Okay. I know you're hard at now. <laughs> uh, you make me mad. Beloved, nobody can make you do anything. Okay. And if I could make you do anything, mad wouldn't be it. <laughs> That's not what I would make you do. I wouldn't. You see, it's a choice that we have. And sometimes it's because of this anger that is deep-seated, it's consuming, it's within you. And so everything that anybody says triggers it. And you're mad. That's why Paul says, yeah, okay, even if you had this indignation, this righteous indignation, even if you do have that, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil, especially if you have this deep-seated anger. I don't know how many times you've done that in your life. I've done it maybe once or twice just this year um, so far. No. <laughs> Go to sleep. No, I, I honestly, we, we try to squash as much as possible. But have you ever gone to bed angry? What happens is you, you have a restless night. Sometimes I used to wake up with a headache. Wake up in the morning, guess what? I was mad again. And, and it gives the devil that foothold because in your subconscious mind, that's where God is trying to you know, help you to see this. But you wake up in the morning, Satan, see, well, first of all, Satan can't get into your subconscious mind. He cannot see what you're thinking. He is not God. He's not omniscient. He knows everything. He's not omnipresent. can't be everywhere at the same time. And he's not omnipotent. He's not that powerful. He's not. He's a created being. And he's a, a liar from the beginning. And he's lied to you, making you believe that he knows if you've been naughty or nice. He knows uh, where you're at. He, 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 knows you, he doesn't know anything. All he knows is what you say. And when Peter talks about to watch out uh, for, for the devil, that he shoots these firing darts, the, these are the words that you have said that he puts in his quiver. And he has a quiver for all of us. And everything that we've ever said, I mean, he's, he's intelligent. He's a smart being. He really is. And he takes those things and he puts them in his quiver. And when Sal says, is upset and angry, he takes those fiery darts and he starts flinging them at me. This is why we need a shield of faith. And be careful what you say. Because that is what the foothold that we give Satan. We give him that opportunity. That's why Paul says, do not let the sun go down on you and give no opportunity to the devil. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. Satan, is he's got these schemes. 2 Corinthians 2.10 and 11, it says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, 
anything has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs, of his schemes. The word designs is schema in Greek, of his scheming ideas. And so what I want to do is encourage others. And, and, and anger has no place in encouraging. And we encourage one another. And when, when I'm angry, I can't, I, all I do is discourage people. So I pray that we can commit together to encourage one another. Number three in the back of your outlines, let us commit to share with one another. Let us commit to share with one another. Now, apparently this was an issue in, in that day. Paul says in verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Let him work, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And, and this is Paul's fourth command, a change from stealing to sharing. And people think that, you know, it's okay to steal. It's okay to take. It's okay to, to, to you know, they have plenty. They have plenty of insurance. This whole thing of this smash and grab, I don't know if you've been hearing about this, but it's just down on rise. People go into a building and with the crowbar and just start smashing and grabbing everything they can. And most managers or employees won't do anything for fear of getting hurt. As a matter of fact, even you can walk into a department store now, and if, as long, and, and here's, here's the ingenuity behind some of these very smart uh, professional uh, crooks, thieves. They go in and they calculate how much everything is with tax. You know, and they figure, okay, so I can take this, and if I get caught, I, I'm, it's not a felony. What's the, the max now, about $1,000 or something like that? I think they raised it up. Anything above $1,000, it's considered a, a felony. But anything below that, so, hey, this, you know, hey, this, this pressure washer here is only nine, you know, $9.99. You know, this, this generator is only you know, $850. Bucks. <laughs> I walk out with this thing. If they catch me, they catch me. What are they going to do? Throw me back out again. And so there seems to be this disconnect between people's hearts and people's morals and the morality of people. And they want to blame the government. They want to blame the politicians for making these laws that kick people out of jail. Beloved, this has been going on from the very beginning. Paul is telling, don't, don't do that. Don't steal. Don't be a burden on the community. Don't, don't take away. And, and many of you are probably thinking, well, I don't, I don't do that. Oh, what are you telling me that for? The word steal, klepto, is, is where we get the word kleptomaniac. But it's to take something that belongs to somebody else just for your own benefit. And when we say steal, when we talk about steal or thinking about stealing, we think large items, big items. You know, I don't do that. But what about the change that the person on the other side of the counter gives you that's over the amount? That ever happened to you? You know, you give somebody a, a 10 and they give you change back for a 20? God's blessed me. <laughs> or you find a wallet and you see it on the ground and say, well, look, God blessed me. And yeah, this guy doesn't need it. And you, you know. Uh, we, there was one time we were at the grocery store and, you know, put everything up on top and paid for it and walked out, and uh, they forgot to charge me for the bag of potatoes underneath my cart. And I looked at my receipt. They didn't charge me for potatoes. Man, it's busy in there. I'm thinking, I'm not going to walk away without paying for this. So I walk in there and says, you guys forgot to charge me for this, and I got the receipt. And they looked at me kind of funny. He says, you, you came all the way back, stood in line for that? And I says, well, I didn't pay for it. People look at you kind of odd when they do stuff like that. But you, you see, stealing from work, you know, a, a paperclip, a pencil, things like that don't belong to you. Your taxes, you know, it's coming up to be tax time now. Things that we think that are okay, God says don't do it. But instead, what you want to do is you want to share with others. And you cannot share with others of the things that you don't have. And it seems like those that seem to take as much as they can sometimes don't share with others. They want to sell it. They want to make more money. But when you have... Um, the ability to work and to develop a good work ethic. And Paul says, continue to work. As a matter of fact, uh, he said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, your outlines, he said, for even when, you, when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. You know, and he was talking about this group of people Paul goes up, and he's in Thessalonica, and he looks up, and he sees these guys that are sitting on the hill. He says, what's up with these guys? Oh, they're waiting for Jesus. They're waiting for Jesus? Yeah, he said he was going to be back right away, so they're waiting. So what are you guys doing? Well, we take them food because they're hungry. Why? Well, because they've been waiting for Jesus. They're not working, and they're getting hungry. They get cold. Why are you taking them food, and why are you giving them clothing? If they're not going to work, they don't eat. Bottom line. I always thought that was my mom's term. 
El que no come, no traba, el que no trabaja, no come. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's all there is to it. And it was an issue. He says, you know, and those guys are just idle. And some people that don't want to work, they're just busybodies. You got to be busy doing what you need to do. As a matter of fact, it's so important that Paul says to Timothy, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's talking to believers. You call yourself a believer and you're not providing for your household? You're worse off than an unbeliever. At least an unbeliever will go out and steal something and give it to their family. But you know what? You're not even working. I'm not condoning that. But Paul says we have to have good, honest work. Good, honest work. Working with our hands to share with others. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. That I don't think that God really cares what kind of work you do. As long as it's not illegal, unethical, or immoral. Okay? A Christian should not be working at a bar, a topless bar. A Christian should not be working at places that are illegal or immoral. Should be selling drugs. But you said I have to make some money. A Christian shouldn't be doing those things that are not proper. Yeah, you think it's funny, but... Okay, I can share this. Because this happened at my last church. Before, when I got saved in Fresno, um, the, the pastor got arrested not because he was doing anything wrong, but because one of the members of the church was selling drugs and they gave the pastor a Cadillac with the word pastor on the license plate. And they would give money and they oh yeah, this is great. And they arrested him, took everything away. Uh, oh, because you know, this guy was working selling drugs. It happens, even within the church. As a matter of fact, that was happening here before we got here as well. Uh, it was, uh, was kind of crazy. But let's, uh, let's move on. Do, do the work of, of your hands. God gave you the ability. You know, and we talked about this a little bit. If some of these people would just take all that ingenuity and the gifts that they have and put it to good use, my Lord, I mean, can you imagine what can happen? This is why it's important to get connected to a body of believers so that you can be encouraged and to, to work, to, to be loved and recognize and realize that, that, you know what, these people aren't lying to me. These people are, are loving on me and they're telling me the truth, things that I need to change. And number four, I need to edify one another. We need to commit to edifying one another. Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, and that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sapros, corrupting, refers to that which is unwholesome or foul. It's the word that is used. Sarpos is used of a fruit or some food that you ever eaten, a really sour, bitter pear or something that you, oh, this, you know what it tastes like, sweet and crispy and crunchy, and you bite into it and it's all mushy and blah! That's the kind of stuff that comes out of people's mouth. Sarpos, don't be letting that kind of corrupting, foul-tasting stuff come out of your mouth. Now, I don't know what was going on in that day, but these people were struggling with their mouth. He says this corrupting language should be as repulsive as a rotten apple. It should be. I remember my mama used to say, Con esa boca comes? <laughs> you eat with that mouth? <laughs> you eat with that mouth? Really? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Go wash your mouth out with soap. That doesn't help. But now, Paul says, you must put away all anger, wrath, Malice, slander, obscene talk, obscene talk from your mouth. You notice how anger keeps popping up? Anger and obscene talk are connected. I've seen very, okay, I've heard believers that say they're believers get into a very difficult situation, bang their finger with the hammer, and one of the first things that comes out is a curse word. I look, I says, Really? <laughs> And it seems like when people are mad, that's when it really just boils up. And you put the squeeze, it's like a tube of toothpaste. When you put the squeeze on somebody, what's inside the heart is what comes out. That's what comes out. In James chapter 3, Paul, James is saying this, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. Your tongue is in the body of your own, is in your own body. And just like all of us, we're all members of one body. There is a tongue, and that tongue needs to be kept in check. And it's in the body. Paul's talking about the personal body, staining the whole body. The tongue can do so much damage to one that is, looks upright and good. 
I read a book once called Hung by the Tongue. Very good book. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Think about that. I've seen orca whales tamed. I've seen lions tamed. I've seen elephants tamed. I've seen horses, dogs, and maybe not cats. Cats can't, you know, they, there's no hope for cats. <laughs> um, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know some of you guys are cat lovers, but uh, you would agree with me as well. I, I've seen every, almost every imaginable being, hawks and birds and eagles tamed. And the Bible, James is telling us that all those things can be tamed except for one, that tongue. That tongue cannot be tamed. And the only way to change that is not with soap. And with the Holy Spirit, only the Lord has sufficient power to control our lips and guard them from every unwholesome, corrupting, spoiling word. The tongue can only speak what the heart says. The only thing that can come out of the mouth is what's inside the heart. So you don't have a tongue problem. You have a heart problem. There's a problem in the heart, and that heart needs to be changed. Jesus told the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's where it comes from. And if I am finding myself, if you are finding yourself with a foul mouth, with verbs, words that, that, that are hurting instead of encouraging, that are damaging, you have a foul heart. Everything that comes out of the mouth comes out of the heart. This is why Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, and we'll get there once we finish Ephesians. He says, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if the, there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Constantly keep your mind on the Word of God. You do this, the Word of God gets into your heart. And so therefore, when something comes up, you know, and, and you bang your thumb, you're going to say, okay, Lord, next time I make sh- I'll make sure that I don't have my thumb in the way when I do that. It'll cause you to think rationally instead of irrationally. And then the last thing I want to share with you, uh, there's, there's more to that that I, I could share, but let me uh, be kind to one another. Number five, be kind to one another. You know, uh, it was interesting because uh, I was looking for the word nice in the Bible. Why can we can't be nice to one another? Do you know that the word nice is not in the Bible? Nice compromises. Nice, uh, you know, is, is that type of a, you know, well, okay, whatever. You know, I want to be nice. I want to play nice. Do whatever you want. See, but kind, being kind to one another is very different. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, there's that word again. You know, there's, there's an issue there with anger in our hearts, in our lives, in our communities, in our, in our society, in our country. There's this anger that just, it just seeps into everything, into, into the churches, into politics, into stores, into people, into groups. There's this anger that Paul is saying, get rid of it. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Doing with all malice, along with all malice. He, he says, don't try to get rid of it in this community. Don't try to go to the politics and get rid of it there. Get rid of it in your life, first and foremost. That's a message for somebody. And, and if, it, if it's affecting you, then like I said at the beginning, this is going to hurt because some of us need to hear that. However, he says, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave. Man's natural tendency is to sin. I mean, we, we, oper- we gravitate toward that. All these smash and grabs, all these things that are going on, they've been going on for many centuries, for, for a lot of years. And for the most part, societies with morality has been able to curb a lot of that. It's not as bad as it used to be. Excuse me, it, 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 used to be, it, it wasn't as bad before as it is now. But now, it seems like with everything that has been going on, all this anger is just, it's just piling up. And people think it's, it's the times. Well, it is. It's the lawless one that is being revealed. This wrath. Wrath is the Greek word thumas, where we get our word uh, thermometer to measure the heat. This wrath has to do with this wild rage and the passion. And this anger, orge, is more internal, smoldering and, and subtle, a deep feeling. Clamor is, is, um, is 
Kruge is a shout of the outcry. It's something that you just bursts out in the middle of, of Times Square, wherever you're at. And slander, uh, the Greek word is blasphemia. And blasphemia is the word where we get blasphemy. And blasphemia is just how you talk bad about people. And Paul says, get rid of all that. You cannot be that kind of a person. You should not be that kind of a person. See, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it said, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for me. When I was that person, when I was totally seeped in this darkened, hardened heart, when I, Jesus Christ died for me. He died for me at that time. In Romans 5.10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. See, if God is so gracious to, to us, how much more should we be to other people? We, we need to be tender-hearted. We need to be kind. We need to be forgiving. There is no sin that has been done against you that you should, you cannot forgive. I've heard people say, I'll never forgive. I cannot forgive. I won't ever do that. Why not? Jesus forgave you. And we're vile sinners. We've offended a holy God. I deserve God's wrath and punishment for all eternity for the sin that I have committed. I deserve that. But by the grace of God, by God's holy grace, He imputed His righteousness upon my life and took my sin. I couldn't do anything about that. I was dead in my trespass. I had no life, no spiritual life, but God saw upon Himself to impute his grace upon me. It is by grace that you're saved, by faith. And this not of yourselves. There's nothing you can do about that. You see, you need to be born again. Just like I had nothing to do with being born in the first time, I have nothing to do with being born again. It's, not by, it's, it's by the spirit and water, not by the will of man. There's nothing that I can will to get saved. And if you have been regenerated, and if you have been saved, then these things, the Bible says, should not be part of your life. And we need to move from this point forward. And in closing, I just want to use Romans 2, 4. It says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you presume on His kindness? You say, ah, it's a big deal. Yeah, I deserved it. Yeah, you know, I'm glad He saved me. I'm saved. So are you really presuming? On God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Some people will take that presumption and say, you know what? I messed up. Yeah, I've already, I've already you know, I'm batting 100 here, Pastor. Every one of those things that you hit, I, I hit every one of them, so I might as well just not come back. I, you know what? This, then I, I, I can't even stand here. You know, there are a lot of people that have told me, I can't go to church because if I do, guess what will happen? The ceiling will fall in. You know, I'll catch on fire. Yeah, no, everybody's going to know. No. The reason God is patient with you, the reason that He is kind and loving and forbearing, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. If this is any, if one of these things, if even one of these things are in you, I implore you to repent. None of the apostles, Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, nobody ever asked anybody to raise their hands and come forward and to receive Christ. Jesus' message, repent. John the Baptist's message, repent. Peter's message, repent. Repent, repent, repent. Get away from that and follow Christ. That is our call. You want to make a resolution? If you can put this up on the, on, on the screen for me, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. Let me ask you to stand. 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, out of the New International Version, please, NIV. Because the ESV says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But the word decided is the same word that uh, the NIV uses. And the word that the NIV uses is, uh, there you go, For I, what? Resolved. There's your resolution. You want a New Year's resolution? There it is. Out of the NIV. I resolved to know... Read that with me. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You want to make a New Year's resolution? There it is. Resolve to know Jesus Christ 
and Him crucified. The power of the resurrection. Why He died for you. Because you cannot pay that penalty. Your life was destined for all eternity to be cast away from God in a place called hell. And Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, came onto this planet just to die for sinners. That's why He came. He came to die for you. And if there's a resolution you want to make, then say this one. I resolved to know nothing, nothing else except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You get this under your belt. You understand this. And, and it's interesting because I've already had a couple of people talk to me. So how do I get that message out? How do I share that? How do I share that, that the crucifixion, that the death, burial, and resurrection is the most important message of the entire Bible, of our life, of all eternity. Well, I'm glad that you're asking that same question because we're going to be talking about that here in the next few weeks. Because that is the whole purpose of what Paul is trying to get across. How do I do this? How do I get it across? How do I live this out? Every time that we take the Lord's Supper, we are instructed by Paul to examine ourselves. We are instructed to examine ourselves in such a way in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 and 28, he says, For whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. My encouragement to you this morning, and I share this with all truth and sincerity and in love, that you examine yourself. You might be thinking, well, then that's, I, I can't take it. It's a matter of the heart. If you make that commitment right now to love one another, to encourage one another, to share with one another, to edify one another, to be kind to one another, if you make that commitment right now and repent of those things that seem to have fallen in your, in your lap this morning, then repent and commit. And please do so with us. I'm going to ask everyone to, we're going to have a word of prayer. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray with me. Thank you, brother. Father in heaven, I, I want to thank you once again for this opportunity to share this message and, and also have the message be shared to me as well. It speaks to all of us, Father. And I pray this morning that every one of us, any one of us that fall in the category of these few verses that we do exactly as John the Baptist and Peter and Jesus had instructed the listeners to repent, to repent at this point and to turn and to commit, commit to, to serving you, to following you, to know you even more so. My resolve this morning, Father, and I pray that it's the resolve of all of us here, that we commit to knowing you more and more and, and, the, res and the crucifixion, you crucified and what that means for me and how that has changed the world, and how it, it will change my world. So as we come before you, and I pray that we are repenting and committing to you, that we recognize our sin and confess it to you, that you cause us to be a new person and to understand that newness of life. Lead us this morning in all things and always. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, and everyone says... We have uh, the wafers sealed in a little container, and we have the juices back here. And if you are not a member of our church, it's okay. We have what's called open communion. I shared with you what it is that I, the Bible expects of us to do is examine ourselves. And if you're ready at this time, I just want you to come to the center aisles, go to the back back there, and uh, pick up a container and a juice and share with us this Lord's Supper. If you'd like to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, uh, otherwise I'll just read it. Uh, the, the passage I was reading here just a bit ago, and uh, some of you already know this. We, we share this every time. Paul says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take the wafer, and we do exactly as Paul had said that Jesus told him, that he took the bread, he gave thanks, and then he broke it. We'll do the same thing. We'll give thanks, and then we'll break it. And the sound of the cracking of the bread, 
of the wafer as we hear it across the sanctuary will remind us of the lashings that he took for us. Father in heaven, thank you for this wafer that represents the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, because of what he endured on the cross for us, that we now can share in that salvation. We have been given his righteousness as he took our sin from us. I pray, Lord, that you help us to remember the pain and the suffering that it took. Help us not to presume on the death and burial of Jesus Christ, that he was kind to us and, and he was patient with us to lead us to repentance. So thank you once again for this time that we should. We pray these things. Amen. In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father in heaven, as we take this bread and we take this juice in representation of the body of Jesus Christ and his blood. We do so remembering the cross, remembering the crucifixion, remembering. And we also look forward to the day that we will share this and, and have this meal with you. So I pray that you give us perseverance to be able to persevere to the end, that you give us the ability to withstand whatever may come as you prepare us for 2022. Lord, I thank you for this body of believers, for those that are with us today and those that are uh, couldn't make it, I pray that you continue to bless them and, and encourage them. Thank you once again, Lord, for this juice, for its consistency, its color, and its representation of the blood of Jesus Christ. Bless the vine that it came from, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What a great way to start the year with the Lord's Supper in fellowship. And uh, we want to thank you for being here. Let's pray and we'll dismiss. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you, God, for uh, what you do in our life and, and how you've blessed us with these children and just the excitement that they have for your word, Lord. Help us to be as uh, little children when we come to you. So thank you, Lord, for today, for this year. And we pray a special blessing upon our families, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. amen. All right, I'll be up here for a moment. If you'd like to come up for a word of prayer, I'd like to meet with you. If you can.